Has it been a while since you thought about copper? Us too, which is why we're talking today about Wilson's disease, a rare condition with nutrition implications. Sarah breaks down what it is and how to treat it nutritionally. You're listening to Dietitians Only, a podcast from Dietitians On Demand, created by dietitians for dietitians. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Dietitians Only. This is Sarah with Dietitians on Demand. And today I have with me Lindell. Hey, Lindell. Hey, Sarah. Um, In today's episode, we're talking about Wilson's disease. So if it's been a minute since you've thought about Wilson's disease, this episode is a perfect refresher for you. Wilson's disease is a hereditary condition that's characterized by an inability to properly excrete copper. So with this condition, copper cannot properly bind to its transporter or be packaged in bile. So what we end up with is excessive copper that starts to accumulate in areas of the body like the brain, the liver, and the eyes. And so the end result is that the patient or individual with Wilson's disease is going to end up with some um, excessive cellular oxidative stress and damage. And that can include damage to hemoglobin, um, causing hemolytic, hemolytic anemia. That's a tongue twister. Yeah, that is. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, can you remind me, how is no- copper normally metabolized in the body? Yeah, so let's do a quick refresher on that. So typically, copper is absorbed in the duodenum, and it enters the, br- the bloodstream from there. And so it travels through the blood into the liver through portal circulation. So once it gets to the liver, copper has three options of what it can do. There's a small amount of copper that can enter the bloodstream directly and circulate around. We call that free copper. The second option is to bind to uh, ceruloplasmin and then be transported to other organs. So ceruloplasmin is like the chauffeur that takes copper around to where it needs to go. And then the third option is to be packaged into bile and excreted. So with Wilson's disease, uh, options two and three are defective. So we can't properly bind to ceruloplasmin and transport around the body. We also can't package bile, uh, or excuse me, package copper into bile and excrete it. Mm, Okay, great. Great refresher. Um, Well, then, can you tell us a little more about the pathophysiology of Wilson's disease? Yeah, so pathophysiology of Wilson's disease involves a genetic mutation that codes for a specific copper transporter. And interestingly, there are different types and severities of this genetic mutation, and that can actually determine if Wilson's disease presents earlier or later in a person's life, and also what organs are primarily affected, whether the liver or the brain. Ah, okay. Um, So what are the symptoms, and how is it usually diagnosed? That's a good question. So the symptoms of Wilson's disease are sort of nondescriptive, uh, kind of more vague symptoms. But typically, like I said, it affects either the brain or the liver. So patients will present with some neurological symptoms like tremors. Um, This could be like jerky involuntary movements. Speech abnormalities or slurring of the speech is also common. Um, Sometimes this would be combined with an involuntary grimacing of the mouth. Um, Most of these symptoms would occur 
and start to reveal themselves between the ages of 20 and 40, although it can happen much earlier as well. Um, some patients would present with Parkinson's-type symptoms. Seizures are also common. And then there are also even uh, psychiatric symptoms that could be present, like anxiety, depression, uh, personality changes, even attention deficits. And so those are the neurological symptoms that we typically see. When it comes to uh, liver-related symptoms, um, if a patient presents with acute or chronic liver failure without really any unexplained, you know, the typical causes of that that we would usually associate with liver failure, um, or if they have some unexplained hepatic encephalopathy. So those are all symptoms. Like I said, Wilson's disease probably wouldn't be high on the list of what you would jump to when you see those types of symptoms. So um, as far as the diagnosis goes, one of the key uh, unique features about Wilson's disease is something called Kaiser Fleischer rings. And these are literally rings around the eye, these copper rings around the eye. And it represents just deposits of copper on the cornea of the eye. So if you've never seen this, Google it. Um, it's K-A-Y-S-E-R dash F-L-E-I-S-C-H-E-R. Um, and so this happens, um, like I said, when you are having, you know, dysfunctions with how your body is dealing with copper. And so it can actually deposit copper around the cornea of the eye. Um, another characteristic feature is when you have a, a serum ceruloplasmin less than 10 um, so that's a key feature in diagnosing Wilson's disease. Another common diagnosis parameter is when you have a urinary uh, copper level that's higher than average. So the typical cup point is going to be greater than 100 micrograms. And this is to get this measurement, we have to collect urine for 24 hours in a copper-free container. And so then they will measure the copper uh, for a 24-hour collection. Um, if these tests are not really clear-cut and they're not showing clear results, sometimes a liver biopsy may be necessary as well. But the take-home message is that the earlier we can identify and diagnose this, the better the clinical outcomes can be. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, I googled and that is very interesting. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Something that you probably don't see very often. Yeah. No, definitely not. Um, so all this to say, what is in the treatment, if any, for Wilson's disease? That's a great question. So why are we talking about this on a dietitian's only podcast? Um, so the, uh, the treatment for Wilson's disease usually involves a combination of medications and a low copper diet. So unfortunately, a low copper diet is typically not enough to manage Wilson's disease on its own, but it does play a role. You know, when we are having uh, high, level, high levels of copper, we can't process copper in a normal way. Obviously, we don't want to be taking in even more and more and more. Um, so just a few high copper foods if you need a refresher. I think a lot of dietitians don't think about copper very often. but um, <laughs> I think if, about it every day. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you need a refresher on uh, which foods are high in copper, those are going to be foods like fish, shellfish, 
pork, lamb, dark chocolate, sad, uh, nectarines, <laughs> mushrooms, dried beans, and tofu. So that's not an exhaustive list, but that's kind of hitting the highlights there. Um, if your patient with Wilson's disease has had any liver damage associated with the condition, then they do want to avoid alcohol just to uh, further prevent any additional liver damage. Um, when you're working with pediatric patients, there's some controversy that exists if a low-copper diet is really necessary for them. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is, but you know, if you think back to what we said earlier about the presentation that people typically don't present with symptomatic Wilson's disease until they're like almost middle-aged, um, that's because it takes that long for copper to build up to such a dangerous level. And so, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe if you're a pediatric patient, like the risk of having symptomatic Wilson's disease is low. I don't know. But um, I also mentioned medications. So the low copper diet typically isn't enough. Um, and so medications may often be used. So medications involve a couple different options. The first is something called a chelating agent. And so that will bind to copper in the blood and tissues of the body and then help to facilitate excreting it. Um, you should know that patients who are taking a specific chelating agent called D-penicillamine um, may develop a vitamin B6 deficiency. So if you are working with someone who's taking that medication, just sort of have that on your radar. Um, the other medication option is something that you may be aware of, an interaction between copper and zinc. Um, copper and zinc compete for absorption, so what we can do is give patients higher doses of zinc. Uh, that sort of, you know, prevents us from absorbing as much copper in the small intestine, um, but this is more of a play in the long game here. Um, that typically takes up to about six months to create any sort of impact. Um, so yeah, that's the summary on Wilson's disease. Um, it's fairly rare, but you never know when it might pop up. Yeah, no, this was great. It's a great review. All right. Well, yeah. thanks, Lindell. So uh, we'll wrap it up for today, and we hope you can join us again on another episode of Dietitians Only. Thanks for listening to Dietitians Only, a podcast produced by Dietitians On Demand. If you need a break today, scroll over to the review section of the podcast and leave us one. Your feedback is the best way to help the podcast grow. Dietitians On Demand employs hundreds of dietitians nationwide and elevates the profession with simple yet effective practice resources like this podcast. Don't forget to stay connected with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All content is for general information purposes only. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from or through this podcast with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking medical treatment because of something you heard in this podcast.